Hello Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's wide range of beautiful wood designs can be painted, stained, or unfinished to complement any decor. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Visit PellaWI.com. Expires 9-30-2022. Certain restrictions apply to showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Last night, I was a guest at the annual banquet that they have for the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, which is the conservative law firm that's been responsible for challenging a lot of decisions made by government. And, and actually, their their success rate is, is amazing. They win about 70% of the cases that they um, that they file. And it's their, their annual gala event. And it was very, very well attended. And I was the guest of some very close friends and, and all. And we, we had a very good time. But one of the interesting things is uh, Tim Michaels. I, I, I guess we met in when he was running for Senate in 2004, but I, I don't I don't have any recollection of having any like in person contact with him since then. And, and last night, um, the I I was there with my wife, and we had a chance to get to to talk to to Tim and his wife for a, a bit. And it was very interesting getting the the state of the race and things like that. And I suspect that hopefully we'll have an opportunity to have him on the program for an extended period of time sometime in the next week or two. And as I always say. So, because inevitably some people will text me, say, where are you going to have Tony Evers on? Tony Evers is welcome to come on this program anytime he chooses. I would not hold my breath for that. Same thing with, are you going to, you've had Ron Johnson on, are you going to have Mandela Barnes on? Mandela Barnes, believe me, is welcome to come into the studio, sit down and discuss issues with me for an hour anytime he chooses. I just wouldn't hold my my breath waiting for that. But we're going to hope to have Tim Michaels on in the course of sometime in the next you know couple weeks for a, an extended form discussion. The, um, the the Marquette University Law School poll really is sending kind of ripples through this campaign. As I predicted two uh, about a month ago, that the poll that they came out with in August that showed Mandela Barnes with like a six-point lead over Ron Johnson. That, I, I think, is going to go down as the high-water point for for Mandela Barnes because nobody knew who he was. And the more people are finding out who he is and what he stands for and things like that, you're seeing his unfavorable ratings go up and you're seeing um, the, the, the race change. The Marquette University Law School poll, and again, it, it's within the margin of error. This, these races, whether it's governor or senator, they're going to all be about turnout. But the Marquette University Law School poll, you know, had Ron Johnson up by a point. Uh, they're, they're, those are the public polls. Then there are kind of some of the private polls that are out there as well, the ones that are done by the candidates or by groups that are deciding, you know, where they're going to spend their money. And Politico is making reference to apparently there, there's also there, there's a National Republican Senate Committee poll that, that just dropped and this is this is kind of important because again there, there's a limited amount of money so for example the republican senate committee as well as the democrats they're looking for races where they can have an impact in and if it's a race where their candidate is way behind or way ahead they're not inclined to spend money um in this particular case the the poll that just dropped 
Um, the Marquette Law School poll had Senator Johnson ahead of Lieutenant Governor Barnes by one point. The Republican Senate Committee poll has Johnson up by four, 49 to 45. And Mandela Barnes's unfavorable rating starting to go through the roof as more people find out about where he is on the issues. And if I've said this before, if the mainstream media, whether it's the print media or some of the electronic media in this state or nationally would do its job and, and actually press Mandela Barnes on his positions on a wide variety of issues like we try to do on my Twitter account. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I think the more people find out about just how, how, how far out Mandela Barnes is on issues, the more those unfavorable numbers are going to go up. But in any event, there is a, a private poll, I'm told, that's out that shows that uh, Johnson is actually ahead by four points. Again, margin of error, a lot can change over the course of the next you know eight weeks or so. I'm also under the impression that poll shows pretty much what the Marquette poll showed, that essentially it is a dead heat between Tony Evers and Tim Michaels, and a lot's going to depend on turnout, and a lot's going to depend on what happens over the course of the next seven or eight weeks, and we will be here to discuss it in detail. Okay, let's get started. And we, We've talked about this once or twice before. Um, I, it's... A lot of times when I see, you know, people run and they get lawyers and things like that, I, I sort of like roll my head and think, okay, these are people that are kind of looking for a payday and is it really deserved? And then then there are cases like this. The family of the 77-year-old man who died, his name was Richard Dujardin, on August 15th, they have now hired a lawyer, local lawyer, and he is starting to ask a whole series of questions that candidly, I, I think, should be asked. For for those of you who you know haven't been following the story in detail, um, Mr. Dujardin, he and his wife were visiting from, what, Rhode Island or Delaware? They Rhode Island. They, they were in town and it's a Monday afternoon. They are going to church. They are walking across the, the Kilbourne Avenue Bridge, which, by the way, is not marked as a drawbridge. They're walking across the bridge. By all accounts, they are on the bridge. So this isn't a deal where the there's bells flashing and there's um, barricades coming down. They are on the bridge. She is walking a little bit faster. He's 77 years old. He's hard of hearing, and he's apparently like looking at his cell phone or his iPad or whatever, I think partly for directions because they're trying to figure out where this church is they're walking to. But they are on the bridge. She is a little bit ahead of him when all of a sudden the bridge starts to go up. The Kilbourne Avenue Bridge, Street Bridge, is the 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 one bridge of the 20 drawbridges they have around here that goes up at a 90-degree angle. Uh, none of the others, I am told, go up that much. So he's he's on the bridge when this starts to, to go up, and he his wife is kind of like on the other side, so she's able to get down. But he's on the, on the, the going up side, essentially. He's not halfway across, and it's going up at this angle, and, and he's he's not able to get back down. And what he ends up doing is he ends up you know grabbing a hold of a, a, a railing, on the side of of the bridge and he's hanging on and he's hanging on and ultimately he loses his grip and he falls 71 feet to to his death horrible horrible story well as it turns out of course what we're starting to know now is of the 20 drawbridges that they have in the city of milwaukee 
only about 10 of them are manned. That is, although they all have these bridge towers, there's nobody at this particular one. The bridge is controlled by an operator who's up at uh, Water Street, as a matter of fact, who is supposed to be watching video cameras. And they've got a couple video cameras that, that show this. And the operator is supposed to, before he raises, or she, but I think it's a he in this case, raises the bridge, is supposed to look at the cameras and make sure that there's nobody that's on the bridge. Now, obviously, this did not happen. I mean, we, we don't we don't know what happened? Were the cameras not working? I don't think so. Was the bridge operator unattentive? Was he looking at a phone? Was he eating his lunch? Was he distracted? Whatever. Uh, something had to have happened because this this was not supposed to occur as, as it did. So you, you have this man who has now died. We're never going to be able to tell exactly what the bridge operator saw because even though there are cameras that they're supposed to be watching, the cameras do not retain any of the footage. In, in other words, it's, it's a video feed, but there's no recording, which to me is almost unbelievable because, I mean, if you, for example, you go into a convenience store and, and they've got the, the camera that's like the security camera and, and it runs on, it runs on a loop. In other words, let's say like every 12 hours, I understand that there's an issue with, you know, where where do you download and how do you store all the film? But it's not like you necessarily have to store stuff forever or for a month or even for a week. Like a lot of the security cameras on 12 hours or 24 hours, it recycles. So what ends up happening is if there's... I don't know, a robbery, you can go within the first 12 hours and you can go back and you can look at, you know, what went on and you have the footage. And then if you don't do it within 12 or 24 hours or whatever, it's gone. But you at least have the opportunity to do that. In Milwaukee, and even after this happened in August, apparently they, they still don't keep the recording, the, the, the video, which to me is just absolutely un. Believable. Now, the attorney for the family is is asking for more witnesses to come forward. They're asking for the DA's office to conduct its investigation. And look, I take no position on whether what the operator did was criminal negligence or not. But I, I do know that this is a situation where you have a 77-year-old man who lost his life. And some people in the city are trying to play this off as, oh, this is just a freak accident. You know, and, and we've had these camera systems for, you know, years, and, and this hasn't happened, and so this is a freak accident, so we do not need to overreact. The estimate is, and I've never understood where this dollar amount comes from, that to actually have people manning these towers would cost about six million bucks. That's, that, that seems to me to be an awful lot of money. But I will tell you, it's going to pale in comparison to the amount of money I think the city's going to have to pay out in, in the lawsuit for the, the death of this man and the pain and suffering and all that, all that sort of stuff and, and the emotional trauma of his wife who had to watch her husband like dangle. It's just, it's a horrible, horrible story. And you have a system that, to me, is just broken on so many levels. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we write this off as a freak, one-of-its-kind accident? Or do we realize that there's some big problems here that, that need to be addressed in a meaningful fashion? And if it's not 
putting a, a bridge tender on every one of the bridges, doesn't there need to be a lot of changes made? 855-616-1620. And, and my answer is yes. And I guess one of the things that's a little frustrating to me is I'm not getting the sense of urgency that, that's out there with the city of Milwaukee. Because the truth is, this could happen again this afternoon. 855-616-1620. Do we need to recognize that there's a pretty big problem here and you can't just write it off as, oh, this is a one-off? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess that the thing that, that is troubling here about the the guy who lost his life on the Kilbourne you know Avenue Bridge in, in August isn't just that it happened. That it appears that I'm not sure there's a sense of urgency in realizing that th- this can in fact happen again. There's this tendency to write this off as a one off, and, and I, I mean there should be alarm bells going off right and left. I mean at at the very at the very least. Right now, there should be, there should have been changes made to these camera systems. So we start recording and keeping the video so we can tell what exactly is going on. I think immediately they should put like stop buttons up on both sides so that somebody who sees, I mean, there were all these witnesses that saw this, but there was nothing that they could do. So somebody can hit an emergency stop button to stop the bridge from going up if there's a car on it or there's a person on it. These are, these are relatively simple things that should have been done with Within the first week, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Kevin in Milwaukee. Kevin, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. What do you think? I think uh, you're way off base here, Jeff. Um, you know, I spent half the year in Florida. If you uh, look it up, I don't have the detail or the, you know, the, it in front of me. But there was a person that was killed on a bridge down there earlier this year. That was manned by a person with, uh, you know, in theory, a visual um, sight line to the person that got dead. And, you know, it still happened. Accidents happen. I think you're way out of bounds. What do you mean accidents? This wasn't an accident. Uh, Wait wait a sec. This wasn't an accident. This was uh, this was an error that killed somebody. Right. Somebody's dead. Seventy seven year old guy's dead. Okay, so you're saying yeah, it's no big deal, it happens, people die. People die. What's yeah, what's well, the heck? What the heck? It could be certainly an accident. Nobody's accusing the uh, bridge tender of deliberately killing No, I don't guy. think so. You're right. He, he just he missed it, didn't see the person. Right, exactly. Somebody's dead. Okay, so what do we do to make sure that the next bridge tender doesn't miss this and somebody else dies? Right. I, I think we need to look at it. I don't know anything about the uh, video not being saved. I think that certainly it would be something worth doing. But your point about manning all these bridges is just, I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, an expense that's not going to generate the safety or security increase that you're thinking it's going to do. Well, Kevin, I'll tell you this. Thanks for the call. I'll, I'll tell you this. It, it, I don't. I don't understand where the six million dollar number comes from. But I, again, the the amount of money that the city is going to lose in this lawsuit. Uh, let, me, let me put it like this: I, I would not be surprised if it vastly exceeds the amount of money that would have come from from staffing these bridges. If your point is okay, well, even if we staff the bridges, the, the operator could still not see the people and could be, I don't know, eating a sandwich or looking at their phone or or whatever, okay, 
Well, then maybe what we need to do is also then explore other sorts of things that we can do to make sure this doesn't happen again. Like I say, more of the video stuff, uh, electronic sensors, for example, that will send a message and maybe stop the process if there's something on the bridge. Stop buttons that you put on either side of the bridge so pedestrians or somebody else there, if they see that the operator has, I, I don't know, nodded off or whatever, and there's somebody on the bridge that's going up, something that a pedestrian or somebody else can hit that button and stop it. I mean, there, there's all these various things. But and if, if you want to say, okay, well, we don't need to man them, all, all right, but there's certainly got to be all sorts of other safety measures that you can put on. If the attitude is, well, accidents happen, okay, well, I... I don't know. That That's a nice attitude to have. Tell that to the wife of the 77-year-old guy who watched her husband dangle from this bridge that is the only one in the city that goes up at a 90-degree angle. Let's talk to Dennis. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon. Hi. I love your idea about... Uh, hi. Um, think of the cross barricades that come down right before the bridge opens. It would nice be. It would nice to know the time period of when the when the cross barricades do come down, when the bridge uh, begins to open. Because shouldn't there be a, a timer set in the controls for the for the bridge that uh, it it allows people if they are in the middle of the bridge to get off the bridge. Yeah, and, the bridge actually opens. Yeah, and I don't know how. I he was. I, I think all the witnesses say he was on the bridge when the lights started going and the thing came down. I, I don't know how long he had been on on that bridge, and I think one of the things we're not going to know is because again they don't keep the videos of this, which to me is again just this mind boggling sort of thing. You know how far he, he was, but I no, no thanks for. I mean, I, I right there, there. There's all these different things that that you can and, and should do and if you if you think it's unnecessary to have these things manned and i understand in the industry there are a lot of bridges don't have people on them if you if you're comfortable with the idea that you've got one person that's supposedly watching you know three or four of them okay that that's fine but don't you still need to have safeguards that are in place in case that person doesn't do their job. Now, I, I, nobody's suggesting that the bridge operator tried to kill people. I, that's not it. But clearly, there was either negligence on the part of the bridge operator or there was something that went wrong that prevented the bridge operator from realizing that there was a 77-year-old man who was walking on the bridge. That, that Those those are, are, are two things. So don't you need to have some sort of control that can account for the human error of the bridge operator, or if there is something mechanically that went on, the cameras failed or, or whatever, don't there need to be some sort of backup things to stop this from happening again? And the idea that, okay, well, this is a rare thing. Well, I hope it's a rare thing. Uh, is it an accident? Well, I, I don't know that I would call it an accident. I mean, obviously something really, really bad went on, and we have to figure that out, and we have to stop it, because as far as I can tell, there haven't been any sort of major changes. This could happen again this afternoon. And I, I think the lawyer in this case is asking all sorts of very, very fair questions about, you know, what went wrong here and how could something be allowed to go this wrong? 
Hey, Wisconsin, the leaves are starting to fall, and you know what that means? It's time for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we are featuring Outdoor Living Unlimited, the premier outdoor living specialists. You can contact them at their number, 262-567-4513, or visit their website at outdoorlivinglimited.com. It's Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620 WTMJ. They do an absolutely outstanding job, and it really is... You know, we talk about like us wanting to live outside in the summers, and and that's that's certainly true. But spring and fall, I mean, there's no better time for an an outdoor party or stuff like that than fall. And outdoor living unlimited can really help you with some of the ideas. It's kind of just exciting. All right, we were talking about the bridges. A number of people are still sending me texts pointing out, for example, that. For 40 bucks or so, you can get a ring doorbell that records the stuff that goes on, at least for a limited period of time, outside your house. But yet the city of Milwaukee doesn't record that what the cameras pick up on, on the bridges, which would seem to me to be just bizarre. You'd think that they, you, there's so many different uses that you could have for that beyond just what happens when the bridge, you know, goes up and stuff. But that, that's just me. All right, let us switch gears. Uh, can I see a show of hands? Who's been to the Mitchell Park Domes? Okay. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm sort of looking at, I can picture like hands are, are going up. All right. Who has been to the Mitchell Park Domes in the last year? Hmm. A lot of hands going down. How about the last five years? How about the last 10 years? Not, not, not too many hands that are going up. Mitchell Park Domes, they're... And if you, you haven't been there, they are, of course, in, in Mitchell Park. It's on kind of the, the west side of the city. The domes, the, their construction goes back to the, the 1960s. And they're, I have not been there. I have not been there in at least 20 years. All right. But I mean, I've been there and and there there's a nice sort of place to go kind of in the winter. And you can see like the flora and the fauna and things like that. But the problem with the Mitchell Park Domes is they were constructed in a different time. And the construction methods that you used in the 1960s. Well, OK, that that has a limited shelf life that that has. There is a time when after a while, the stuff just starts failing. And, you know, we had that with the Mitchell Park Domes a couple of years ago and where they had like chunks of concrete that were starting to fall and they had to close the domes for a while and put up this netting and all. And so this is like brought to a head the question of what we end up doing with them. Now, the estimates are all over the map. If you want to just try to make some of the necessary repairs that you would probably have to do, the estimates are that that's probably eh, kind of in the neighborhood of like $20 million or so. I mean, maybe you could do it for a little less, but that that's just to repair what what you have. If you want to completely and totally sort of upgrade those and, and modernize them, you're talking about just a lot more money, 50, 60, 70 million dollars. And of course, if you want to really continue to rethink this, one of the things, one of the proposals was let's take $300 million, let's level the domes, and then let's let's rebuild them essentially along with all this other stuff. Um, the problem, of course, is that Milwaukee County, 
I don't want to go overstate it and say it's broke, but Milwaukee County doesn't have any money. <laughs> I mean, Milwaukee County is is struggling, period. That There's no doubt about it. That's why there's such a push to try to get the state legislature to allow them to you know, add an extra half percent sales tax and things like that. And I, I don't think that's going to go anywhere. But the, the bottom line is there, there are just an incredible amount of, of needs. You've got you know, the public museum, which is moving, and they're launching a, you know, a campaign there. You've got the courthouse, uh, which is badly in need of work, and the safety building, which is where they have the criminal trials. And, and that, that, that's, I mean, if OSHA ever comes over, I tell you, the last time I was in the safety building, which wasn't that long ago, if OSHA ever comes through there, I, I would not be surprised if OSHA starts ordering closed down orders there. And then you've got the demands on the park system to begin with. You know, we just, the, the, the bottom line is there's not enough money to go around. So when people are talking about, well, we, you know, we, we need to, to save the Mitchell Park domes, I mean, my operative question is, well, explain to me where the dough is going to come from. And, and nobody has a good answer to that because, candidly, the truth is that attractions, no matter how much you, you like them, at some point in time, there is a useful life for stuff. And at the end of that useful life, you have to recognize, okay, maybe it's time to look at something else. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What got me started about this is the you know county board is still wrestling with this idea of of what to do. Um, some people are suggesting, let, let's call the domes historic and try to get them put on the, the National Historic Res- Register, which would make it more difficult to kind of tear them down, I, I think, if they get historic designation. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Candidly, and look, like I say, I, I have nothing against the domes, other than to say we have so many more economic priorities around here, there's no appetite for private financing. It's just simply not going to happen. The museum is there, you know, they're trying to raise money to, to build this. You've got the parks that are always compl- saying that they're correctly underfunded. They're trying the private capital campaigns. I, I don't see, you know, realistically, explain to me where you're going to come up with 50, 100 million dollars in, in private funding for an operation that just doesn't have as much interest as it might have had 40 years ago. So is it time to just bite the bullet and say, okay, we need to figure out what we're going to do next with that land, but we can't put tens of millions of dollars into trying to preserve the domes. 855-616-1620, we discuss. So just to give you a perspective on this, the the estimates are just, just to fix the glazing in the domes so you don't have giant chunks of concrete falling on people, which, of course, you can't have. The, the estimates are probably $30 million bucks To do what you would need to do to repair the domes, including all the work that they need to be done to the boilers and stuff like that, the estimates are probably in the nature of, of, of $80 million. And then you're still going to have... You know, an, an aging structure, a structure that's, you know, was built in the 1960s. So it, you, you've got all that stuff going on. And, and I understand I'm, I'm getting a couple texts from people. Well, I, I, I was, I was at a wedding at the dome. So, okay, that, that, that's great. And, and 
th- th- that's fine, and I'm sure that there are those sort of one-off events. But the truth of the matter is, for the vast majority of people, you know, maybe you went there in school on a field trip, or maybe you know you went as a chaperone when your kids went there on a field trip. But it's not it's not an attraction. It's not like the zoo where people are going on a regular sort of basis. And and I don't mean to be you know oh anti domes except. I just, you don't have the money. And we, if you, you have to, I think at some point in time, start saying, setting what are the priorities? Okay. What are we going to do about the park system? What are we going to do about, like I say, the, the courthouse and, and the safety building? You know, what are we going to do about, you know, all the, these other expenses, the public museum, all those sort of things? And at some point in time, you have to recognize that there's just not enough money to go around. Don't you? James on the uh, South Side. James, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, I think uh, why not move them to Whitnall Park, where where we were yesterday uh, for that uh, conference and that. Why not? You got plenty of room there. Whereas Mitchell Park, there seems like it's just residential. Take it and put condos or whatever else. Level up the things and that, and take take the uh, domes that are there and take the pieces and put them over the Whitnall Park there. But well, you got plenty of you got, you got plenty, you got plenty of, room. of room, Jeff. No, no. Thanks, thanks for call, James. I, he's referring to you know Burner Botanical Gardens, where um, we we did a we did a, an event with uh, Bruce's gene team and team you know yesterday morning. And like, I mean, okay, to to, to rebuild the domes at, at where regardless somewhere else on the, on the site on the zoo grounds or at Burner Botanical or whatever. I mean, I don't know. You're probably talking about a couple hundred million dollars. I, I, I would guess, and I guess the the, the point is. Where is the where is the the money, you know, going to come from to to do this? And, and don't we have to, you know, how priorities? Um, you know, don't we have to, you know, have different priorities? Jeff, I think you tear the domes and the old museum down. I think they're a waste of money. Jeff, I think the domes have exceeded their lifespan. Um, you know, I you know, look, at, at some point in time, I, we we have to recognize. I think that you you have. You have things that are wonderful. There's been, I can remember back when the circus parade was a really big deal around here. And, you know, they would always have inflated estimates about how many people came out. But it was a big deal. There's no question about it. And then what happened is it, it ran its course. And so, you know, we don't have a circus parade anymore. And, and that's, you look back and you say, boy, I, I kind of enjoyed going down to the circus parade. But again, it had run its course. Things run their course. And if we were talking about a zero-sum game, I'd say, well, you you keep the domes open because even if they're not self-sufficient and even if there's not a significant number of people going there, there, there's some use and they're nice. There's no question about it. But it's not a zero-sum game. You've got to figure out, you know, at a minimum – where where is that first thirty thousand thirty million dollars going to come from? Just to make sure the chunks of concrete don't keep falling off, and then you know then you've got the all the infrastructure that's there. And the reality is that that sometimes stuff just kind of gets old. And I understand there's some people on the county board who are saying, well, let's try to just designate this as as historic. Well, sometimes stuff is just old. It, it's just because it's old doesn't necessarily mean it's historic. Bob, Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I I completely agree with you. It's it's run its course. I mean, uh, its function, I believe, was to show like exotic plants that don't grow in this area. You know, like today you can get in your car and drive to a lot of these places. And 
the amount of people that are really interested in that right. has declined. You know, the younger people aren't that interested. It's not in a good neighborhood. Uh, it, yeah. It's the buildings aren't really functional for anything other than walking around. I went to see a, a band there one night, but I mean, it, it, it has run its course. You know, it's it's not in a good area. Uh, yeah. the buildings are falling apart. Yeah. Not that many people would really be interested in going there anymore. Um, right, and certainly not you know, certainly not worth the justification of putting eighty million dollars that we don't have, you know, in into it because it's still going to have even if you completely renovate it, even if you put that eighty million dollars in and improve some of the you know the the mechanicals and stuff in there, it's still not going to be the attraction it was, especially given all the other stuff that's competing with people nowadays. Yeah, you know, you might. Maybe like a second grade uh, field trip, you sure. know, if you felt safe going down there, you know, might be good. But other than that, you know, once the kids get older, they're they're not that interested. I. I yeah. just I don't see the interest or the need for it. I think time has passed it by. Yeah, no, thanks. I and I I agree, and I understand that's a hard assessment for people who you know love going there. But the, the truth is, there's not enough of you, and there's not enough independent business to support this. I mean, if if you were saying you know it, it would be a lot cheaper, candidly, if if you really think that you need something like this to kind of reimagine not the domes, but maybe a geo, maybe you know one dome or something, and put it on the grounds of the, the zoo or something, and my guess is you could do that for cheaper. Jeff, it's rather apparent that if you don't have the numbers to support a business, the business is closed. Look at what happened to so many restaurants in southeastern Wisconsin. The county board would do well to follow that same accounting protocol. Um, Jeff, think about all the places. The Bradley Center, right, the Bradley Center, that, that was nowhere near as old as the domes. That's gone. County Stadium, County Stadium, not as old as the domes when it, it ended up being torn down. You know, if we can't find money for sports buildings, um, you know, maybe we can have a public property fund, fund to replace the domes. There's, there's stuff that you could do with that space, I, I guess. My only point is, We've got to make decisions at some point in time because there, there's a limited amount of money that's out there. And candidly, we've been, you know, kind of futzing around with the domes for years and years. And, and nobody wants to make the hard choice, which it seems to me, which is inevitable, that, hey, we're going to have to close these things and tear them down. Everybody says, oh, I got this plan, I got that plan, or whatever. And they're talking about, okay, this is going to be 50 million, 30 million, and this is going to be another 50 million. And then we've got this grand plan that's 300 million, and there's no money that's out there that's just the bottom line there's no money that's out there to do this so why don't we just bite the bullet recognize this is inevitable and then move on to plan b whatever plan b is live from the annex wealth management studios this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner good afternoon wisconsin welcome back to the program across the country in almost every industry there are worker shortages um, for and, and we can and we can and we have discussed on a regular basis why why this has occurred. A lot of people, you know, during covid decided that they were going to retire, you know, when their jobs were phased out or the working conditions changed or whatever. And they've just figured out ways to not have to come back into the workplace. Lots of other people 
found that the amount of government benefits that they were paying were such that it just didn't make economic sense to come back to the workplace. And so they're they're gradually getting their, their feet back in. Number of people just made the decision that, okay, maybe what's going on in COVID is an opportunity to, you know, reset my, my career. And a lot of people just, you know, didn't like some of the the things that were going on during COVID in their particular jobs, so they've made the decision to okay, let let's find something else else to do. So you've got all sorts of factors that are going on, and it's created a problem in a number of industries where they can't find people to do various jobs. One of those industries is, of course, the teaching industry, and th- there's there's no question that over the last twenty years. Fewer and fewer people have been drawn into teaching. That That's just, I think, the reality for a variety of reasons. But after COVID, the the, the shortage has become more acute. And again, there's, there's a lot of reasons, you know, for this, whether it was people that decided, okay, I'm going to retire, people that are tired of the politics of it, people who didn't like the fact that now we're going, you know, remotely and things like that. There's all sorts of reasons why this has, has occurred. But the, the reality is, all right, there, there's a shortage. There's a shortage of teachers, just like there's a shortage of all sorts of other professions. One of the things that school districts across the country are grappling with is, all right, how do we attract more teachers? Whether it's encouraging more young teachers or people to want to go to school to become teachers or alternatively luring teachers from, you know, other school districts. It's kind of a zero-sum game, but, you know, that that's nevertheless school districts, you know, they, they want to have their teachers fully staffed and things like that. And it's not, by the way, just teachers. It's all sorts of school personnel. Remember last week we did this topic about how they can't get school bus drivers. What was the community around here? Can't get school bus drivers despite the fact that their, you know, starting salaries are, you know, pretty pretty darn good, but yet people don't want to do this. So anyhow, Wall Street Journal has an interesting piece. There are over, uh, what's the number, over 600 school districts in at least 22 states which have decided here's one of the ways that they can attract teachers. And now that classes are back full-time, what they are doing is they're saying, okay, this is our way of doing this. We are going to a four-day work week. So in other words, school is only going to be in session. You, you, you can pick the day, but Monday through Thursday. So, so the idea is, teachers, you will have three-day weekends. Now, we might lengthen the school day because the number of hours, you know, different states have different rules about how many hours of instruction. But the idea is and the lure is you're only going to have to you're only going to have to work four days a week. Um, They're they're focusing, for example, a story I'm looking at is focusing on this school district in Missouri. The new pandemic era wave of districts switching to four days a week has been driven largely by administrators who view a shortened week as a perk for attracting teachers. Um, so in this school district, uh, they take Mondays off and they add a half hour of instructional time to Tuesdays through Fridays to meet the state requirements. But the idea is it's a perk. So you say to the teachers, you're going to have a four-day work week, so you either get Monday off, you get Friday off, whatever. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what do you think about this? 
would this be a good idea for your school district to adopt, to say, all right, in an effort to attract teachers, same salary, same benefits, maybe a longer work day, Monday through Thursday, but we're, we're going to only have the kids in school four days a week instead of five. And the idea is that would make it more attractive to teachers who might say, hey, I, I really I like the idea of only you know of every weekend being a three day work weekend. Now, of course, the flip side of that is what does it do to learning? Even if you add an extra half hour to the school day, are the kids learning as much in four days as they would if they had a five day week? And how does that balance out? What do you think of the idea? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss. This will be a spirited discussion. There's a problem attracting teachers and retaining teachers. A number of school districts across the country are going to four-day work weeks, and they're doing it as an effort to lure teachers. They're saying, okay, here's the deal. You come work for us. You're going to have a three-day weekend every week. And at least some of the numbers are suggesting that it's working. Now, some of the other numbers are suggesting that the – that the students in these systems that have four-day school days as opposed to five, um, they're, they're, if you want to use test scores and math scores as an indication, they're not keeping pace, and, which I, I think is inevitable. I mean, I, I think, to me, it just makes sense having that fifth day of school uh, makes a makes a big difference. And so I'm not surprised that there's not as much learning going on. But I guess the flip side is, if, if you can't find teachers to staff the jobs, is, is this a balancing? 855-616-1620. What would you think if your school district said, here's the deal, in an effort to attract teachers, same money, same benefits, but we're doing four days a week instead of five. Those four days will be slightly longer. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Danny. Danny, you're first. Good afternoon. How you doing, Jeff? Good. What do you think? Well, number one, it's, it's teaching. It's not a factory job. And our students are woefully undereducated now. And then let's not forget that they get the summer off. Yep. Their teachers get the summer off. Now, I know that they're working on lesson plans and so on for the next year. Okay, fine. But that doesn't take the whole summer. And not to mention, you know, like I said, with the education as it is now, which, like I said, is woefully un, un, you know, underfunded and so on, they're going to switch to four-day weeks? I mean, my God, that just sounds like absolute stupidity in my in my well, book. Well, no, thanks, thanks for calling, Dan. I mean, I, well, but, but here's, I mean, here here is the balancing act. If we assume for the sake of argument that for whatever reason that there's that there's a shortage of teachers like there's a shortage of so many other different professionals that are out there and you're a school district and you're competing and you're saying okay well you know we've got x number of vacancies so we're trying to we're trying to get our staffing we're trying to lure teachers from other districts to come work for us or alternatively we're trying to encourage maybe some teachers that retired during the pandemic to come back to work the perk that they offer is 4 day work weeks that that's that's the deal so and then then the question becomes okay even if we assume and i think some of the early numbers are suggesting that that's the case that there's a little bit of drop off in academic success among the pupils but still you you at least have all the the teachers that are there the flip side is larger classrooms or more use of substitutes 8556161620 don't get me wrong i i think i think this is a bad idea if 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 our interest is are the students 
I mean, I think it's a, a bad idea because I'm one of these guys that is troubled by the fact that you just look at this these, these learning gaps that have gone on and on. And I'm afraid we've lost the generation because of all the stuff we did with the school closures and the remote stuff and things like that. But at the same time, it is a competitive sort of environment. And if this is what you need to do to get teachers in, even if it means sacrificing some educational achievement, should school boards do it? 855-616-1620. Lamar, who is calling us from Orlando, Florida. Hi, Lamar. Hey, hi, Jeff. Always a pleasure. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, so I think it's a good, I think with respect to attracting employees, it's a nice start. Um, and I agree with the previous caller about the whole teaching time because half an hour a day is only two hours or four or four days. That math, as they say, that math ain't math. And with respect to the, the, the school that year, that the, you know, the instruction time doesn't make any sense. But I never try to figure out how they figure out those formulas. But until that, I, I think, and, and to be clear, the teacher shortage was an issue before sure. the pandemic. Until they address the pay issue, I don't think they'll. they'll I don't think. Anything is going to, to solve the teacher shortage. One of the reasons why I didn't, I didn't keep teaching. Let's so talk for a little bit. Okay, thank, thanks. I guess you know. See, I I don't know. I, I hear that this pay argument a lot, and. I think it's, 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 I think there's larger issues than that. It was the same thing we were talking about with the, like the, the school bus drivers and whatever their starting salary was with 22 bucks or whatever. And my, my position on that was, I, I think it's beyond that. I think you could offer 25 bucks and, and you wouldn't, you, you still wouldn't get that many more people. So I don't, I, I think it's, it's a larger, question it's it's people do you want to go into this profession do you want to go to other professions you know is is it worth the effort what are the perks what are the benefits i i think you know i understand some people just say you you want to throw money at these things if if you raise the starting salary this this will get more people i i think I question that. I mean, whether it gets significantly more people, I think the teaching profession is going through just a lot of the issues that the same thing as you, nurses and, and doctors and a number of other professional fields as well, a number of other fields in, in general that are going, why can't we find enough plumbers? Why can't we find enough uh, HVAC people? Why can't we find enough roofers? And, and I think it, it goes back to this fundamental thing that there's, I think sometimes people just flat out don't want to work or there's things that they don't want to do and i appreciate that there's aspects of teaching that um whether it's it's dealing with the politics small p politics whether it's dealing with the parents whether it's dealing with the kids whether it's dealing with the school administrators some people just to say okay this is not as attractive a job to me in 2022 as as it might have been to somebody who was starting out their career in 1980 and and those are some of the, the larger things so the question is at least in an individual school district if you start throwing out these different perks could it make more be more attractive i mean i'll, I'll be honest with you i mean i i, I think a four-day week i've told this story before between college and law school i worked at an insurance company downtown and they had summer hours and, and it wasn't four-day work week but we, we we worked longer during monday through friday and you got out friday at noon monday through thursday and you got out friday at noon you had friday afternoons off i loved it I mean, it was like having a three-day weekend. You could go out, you could play golf. It was like having an extra day. I, I loved it. It certainly had an appeal. And I'm not necessarily endorsing this, but I do think in a competitive environment, offering a four-day work week 
understanding that's going to come at the expense of some of the kids, I, I think it would be something that would be attractive to people. A number of people are making the point that, you know, what does this do to the parents? How do you handle child care, you know, um, if if you don't have school? Well, it's 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 going to be an issue. There, there There's no doubt uh, about it. And uh, maybe in the same way that you had to grapple with, uh, you know, child care when you, you had this, the schools that were closed. Let's talk to Mary Jo. Mary Jo, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, I just wanted to tell you that my daughter has her master's degree from Boston University, taught in Amesbury, Massachusetts for a while, and got out of that about a year and a half after starting to teach because of politics. She now teaches over in Vietnam and loves it, uh, has actually gone overseas to find a teaching job that she enjoys mostly because of the discipline. Mm -hmm. And she does work a five-day work week. Uh, teachers here with their prep days, uh, Thursdays off, early release, whatever. I don't know what, I don't know what kind of incentive you could possibly give them, uh, increase their pay only to pay for a therapist because that's what they're going to need in order to teach our kids. Right. So you think it's the, the big reason they're having trouble attracting people. It, it's not the money. It, it's not the benefits, although money and benefits is always nice. Don't get me wrong. But it, it's more that, right, that small right. P politics. It's dealing with the, 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 the parents. It's dealing with the administration. It's all that type of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. No, thank what, what do you think about the idea of the five day of the four day week? Not good for the kids? No, I don't. I, I, aside from being, you know, the, the kids, I don't know what a four-day work week would do for the teachers. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, they already have early release days yeah. and prep days and and all that other stuff. I don't. I don't know what four days is going to do for them, uh, except just give them a long weekend. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I think. Well, I mean, I think we all like our long weekends, but I, I, it's it is interesting to me because I, I throw this out there because at least the stories I'm looking at, this is one of the trends. It's like, okay, we're going to offer you this this perk. And one of the things that they have found is, at least in some of the school districts that offer this four-day week as a perk, they've, they, they haven't had the teacher vacancy. So at least short-term, I, I think there might be some appeal. And I'm getting, I'm just swamped with text, and a number of them are great. And, I mean, right, this is, see, I think this is bad. If you're asking me in an academic sense. Do I think this is good? No. I think, you know, we, we saw remote learning was just a disaster for almost every, every kid. I think that there is a value to, I mean, I, I'm the guy that thinks we should have year-round school, especially when you look at, like, these declining, you know, test scores and things like that, and the fact that we're graduating functional illiterates who can't do math and who can't read at, at acceptable levels. It's particularly, I think, a problem, again, in, in some of the more urban areas where you have the, the discrepancy and between some of the suburban areas and, and those those numbers are getting even more and and more large so i mean i think it's a it's a bad idea in theory at the same time it's something that school boards are doing because they're, they're trying to fill the, these jobs and at least short term it's working long term it, it's it's not good and i think a lot of these school districts have to figure out what is the fundamental problem why aren't we attracting teachers in the first place why aren't the schools attracting teachers and i think it's a lot more complicated than just money and benefits does your workplace deserve to let loose and have a party thrown by wtmj 
Register your office on the contest page at WTMJ.com from September 12th to September 16th. Tell us why your team deserves to win, and we'll throw your office a party, including four dozen cream puffs from the Wisconsin State Fair. Go to WTMJ.com to register. And if you invite Alex Crow, he, he might even bring along the, the cream puffs. <laughs> I'm, I'm personally delivering them now. That's how we're handing uh, this out, Is right? that how I, I don't, well, I don't know. You, you never know if it's a good enough party. I, I'm just. I'm just saying, you never know who might show up. If there up. are cream puffs there, there's a good chance I might show up as well. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, and, and I don't know what else comes with the party and stuff, but cream puffs, beer, you know, it's, you know what can you say? I, I, all right, I, we're, we're not promising that. We're just, I was just kind of speculating there, you know? Stock market not cratering like it has earlier this week, but still not necessarily great news. Um, let's see. The Dow Jones is right around flat for today. And, of course, everybody's still reeling after what happened two days ago when inflation numbers, three days ago when the inflation numbers came in really hot. Dow Jones up 10, NASDAQ down 107. That uh, continues to leave a mark. And it, here, here's you know one of the other impacts of this transitory inflation that the president talked about a year ago that's still with us. Mortgage rates uh, today have just hit 6.2%. That is the highest since the financial crisis in 2008 when the U.S. was in a deep recession. The average rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage climbed to 6.02%. That's up from 5.89% last week. And and here's the real significance of this. That's up from a year ago, 286 So if you were looking to, to buy a house, you're that first-time homeowner or you, you're in your, your first house and you're looking to you know buy that bigger house because your family's gotten bigger or whatever, a year ago, you could have financed your, your house, standard 30-year mortgage, with, like my friend Brian Wickard would say, all the right stuff. You could have gotten it at a 2.86% interest rate. It's now 6.02%. And one of the things that we're, we're we're starting, I think it's it's not going down anytime soon. I think is the reality. And already you're starting to see a sea change in the housing market um, because w- when the interest rates goes up like this, what it does is in in real terms it adds hundreds of dollars or more to the monthly cost of a potential buyer's mortgage payment. Because let's face it, that's what that's what a lot of people look at. When they're trying to decide, okay, what can I afford this house? What do I want to buy, etc.? It, it's what am I going to have to come up with every month? I mean, people, I don't necessarily think of, oh, you know, thirty years down the line, you know, when's that last payment going to be due? It's more like, okay, what's going to happen month to month to month, and it, it's dramatically changed. This has added hundreds of dollars more to the monthly cost, and it's one of the things which presumably will slow down the the rise in in housing costs, I guess, on on one hand, because people just aren't going to be able to afford to make these these deals. So it's one of the other real-world effects of inflation. Now, look, I, I understand this is not necessarily a unique thing. Back 
back in like the Jimmy Carter Carter era, when of course Joe Biden is very similar. This presidency is shaping up, in my opinion, to be very similar to the failed presidency of Jimmy Carter. But it, it wasn't uncommon to see you know really really high interest rates, and and even into the eighties you had you had high interest rates. I remember I've told the story before when we bought our first house, which would have been nineteen eighty eight. Um, and it was not a starter house. It was, I mean, I, I think, I forget what interest rates were. They were certainly double digits for the 30-year when we went in, got an adjustable rate mortgage, and thankfully interest rates went down over the five years before everything was due. But um, this huge deal, and if you're in the housing market, whether thinking of selling or thinking of buying, there, there's no way you can divorce yourself from the impact of what's going on with the high mortgage rates. Okay, there is a football game. Tonight, the football game is Kansas City hosting the Los Angeles Chargers. Okay, well, you know, if you're a hardcore football fan, yeah, even if you don't really have a rooting interest in Kansas City or Los Angeles, hey, it's football. You know, we're, we, we want to watch football. And in years past, you would have been able to watch football. Now, maybe it would have been on a cable channel. You know, maybe it would have been on an all-over-the-air channel, but you would have been able to to watch it in one of those forms. Not tonight, because tonight, if you want to watch Thursday night football, tonight and, for example, the, the rest of the season, with one minor exception that I'll talk about, you you can't do it just by having a cable subscription. You can't do it on broadcast TV. You have to have access to Amazon Prime Video. And Amazon Prime Video is one of the, the streaming services. Now, if you have Amazon Prime, it, it comes along with it. Whatever, what does that cost, a, a month or a year? But if you want to watch football tonight and on Thursday nights moving forward during the season, you have to be a subscriber of Amazon Prime on, on the streaming service. And now, if you are, it's you you can watch it on your phone you can watch it on your tv you can watch it on your laptop there's all sorts of different ways to do it but at the end of the day you have to be a subscriber and if you're not you are out of luck and you're going to be out of luck every thursday night of the season with the exception of if your home team for example if the packers are playing on a thursday night that game will be available beyond prime but only if it's your home team our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. Is the fact that football, at least Thursday night football, is now going to be exclusively limited, with the exception of what I just said, to, to Amazon Prime, is that going to be something that would motivate you to start this streaming service? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or alternatively, I guess, if you're already an Amazon Prime customer and who maybe was thinking of dropping the streaming service because you don't watch that much stuff on it, with the fact that they have football, would that now say, okay, you know, maybe maybe I'm going to continue to pay the, however much it, it is a month. 855-616-1620. Is Thursday night football going to move the needle? Would it inspire you? Will it cause you? to sign up with the streaming service. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so let, let me put this in perspective. And, and sit down. because I'm, I'm not sure a lot of people have heard these numbers. Okay, so Amazon Prime 
cuts this deal with the NFL for the exclusive rights to carry Thursday night football. They, they did this 18 months ago, and, and that start that kicks in tonight. The deal, Amazon Prime committed to pay the NFL $13 billion in a deal that runs through 2033. So that means it's going to cost Amazon Prime, Amazon is going to pay about a billion, $1 billion a year for the rights to carry one game a week. My producer, Charlie, is just shaking his head. $1 billion. So that, that translates into roughly $67 million per games in right fees. So Amazon is paying the NFL $67 million, essentially, for the right to carry this game tonight. Now, in order to, to watch the game, you, you need to be a subscriber. You need to have Amazon Prime. Now, the, the way you do that, Amazon, there's, the, there's just the, the plain video service, which is 9 bucks a month. If you just want the, the videos, it's actually eight ninety nine. But let's round up. Let's call it nine bucks. Now, the way, for example, I, I have Amazon Prime, the video because I, I buy a lot of stuff from Amazon, so I'm, I'm an Amazon Prime member. So if you're a Prime member, you get the video to begin with. So it's fifteen dollars a month or one hundred thirty nine dollars per year. So that that's. But that gives you not just the video; it gives you, you know, the the next day shipping and the the no the, the no cost shipping and things like that. I, I mean, no cost being relative because you're paying the money up front. But but regardless, if you're a Prime member, it, it comes along with it. But they're paying sixty-seven million dollars per game in rights fees. My question is: Will this be something that drive? Is is this going to be a winner for Amazon Prime? I guess is what I'm asking. Sixty-seven million dollars. A game is a ton of money. Will enough people decide to either switch to or maintain the service simply because they can watch football games on Thursday night? 855-616-1620. And I have to tell you, I mean, like I say, I have it because it comes with Amazon Prime. So I've got it already, and I guess it's a nice perk. Would I sign up for 9 bucks a month just because, just because you've got a Thursday night football game? Don't think so. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. What do you think? Yeah, I was shaking my head like your producer as well, um, and I will not be one of those people that signs up for it, mainly because I get enough football on Saturday and Sunday. Um, I'm not a big Thursday night watcher unless it's a big game, and I'm certainly not going to you know, subscribe to Amazon Prime um, just to do that. Um, and I know you get some benefits just from sure. Being a Prime member to begin with, um, I don't order enough stuff online to uh, justify that as well. So um, I will not be one of those um, doing yeah. it. And it is a lot of money. Um, it has to be a lot of people that are going to sign up to get that. So I'm not sure if it's going to work out for them. I'm sure they've done the research, but I, I just, you know, well, I won't be one of them. No, thank, thank, and that's kind of my question. I mean, seven eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will, will you be one of them? I mean, just objectively, I look at this. And the numbers just don't make sense to me. I mean, it's okay, $67 million a, a game, um, thir- you know, a billion dollars a year for the, for just for the rights, the, the rights fees to, to broadcast the, the games. But, but again, the, the idea is where, what, what, you know, how do, how do you get that money back? Now, I mean, I, I assume that they're going to have ads and stuff that they're going to be able to sell. So you get some of it back from that. But those are just enormous rights fees that are out there. And I just, 
again, I, I, I have I have Amazon Prime. And actually, I like the streaming service. They've got some good stuff on there. They've, I mean, I've been watching a, a series on Leeds United soccer team that's kind of interesting. And I've, I've been watching, I've been working my way through that. I, I, I like the streaming service, but I, I wouldn't pay, I wouldn't use the streaming service. I wouldn't sign up and pay $9 a month just because they're going to have a football game on once a week. And again, it's academic to me because I, I, if it's a nice feature, I make use. I, I get my hundred and thirty nine dollars worth. At least I think I do with all the the stuff I buy from Amazon and the free shipping. And I, I think I get my hundred and forty bucks worth out of it. And so the, the video thing is a nice feature. I would probably have Amazon Prime even if there wasn't the streaming service. I guess the other question is, you know, is this are they going to end up jacking up the rates in order to pay for this? Dick is asking, will the Amazon games be commercial free? I don't think so, but I, I, I don't know. I'll probably I'll put it on tonight and just see. Um, let's see, Jeff. I'm already sick of having to pay, you know, a cable bill and then having to pay an additional streaming fee each month for shows that I may have an interest in. I'm not interested in Thursday night football and having to pay extra. I think it's going to be a loser for Amazon Prime. Jeff, with Antenna TV dying, every streaming service needs something to draw viewers, and the NFL is number one in ratings. Amazon has enough money that the NFL will eventually be exclusive to Amazon. Well, I mean, that you, you can make that argument. You, you can make the argument that Short term, they don't care uh, about whether they lose money or or not. Maybe there's this prestige element or they're getting their foot in the door and and pretty soon, okay, this is how much they're paying for the rights to carry the Thursday night games, but next they're going to go after the Sunday night games or, you know, whatever. So you you can make that point. Um, Jeff, I have Prime, but I likely won't watch many games on Thursday night. Jeff, my wife and I have Amazon Prime for shipping. We would not sign up for Amazon Prime just for the video, football or not. It just, to me, doesn't seem worth it. Jeff, will Thursday night Packer games air locally? Yes, that is the that is the exception. All all out of market games you got to watch on Amazon Prime. I don't don't ask me where the Packers games it, I assume there's one Thursday night game this year. Don't ask me where it's going to air, but it will be available um locally I think over um on free TV. Um Jeff, I think Thursday night NFL will ultimately go away due to overexposure. They make lots of money now, but I think fans are going to get tired of seeing pass after pass after pass with lots of commercials in between. Have you ever DVR'd a football game and just watched the action? Try it. If not, you'll like it. Um you know, no 3 to 4 minute breaks. Well, the the, the problem with that, and I've talked about this with live broadcasting. The, the live broadcasting is the one thing it's one of the reasons why they can in live sports. It's one of the reasons why they still command high advertiser rates because you can't you, you, most. That's not how most people want to watch live sports. You want to watch it live. You you. I understand. There's people who tape the Packers game and then watch it three or four hours later, or tape the Brewers game and then fast forward. That's not how most of us consume sports. We want to watch it in real time, which means you can't fast forward through the commercials or anything like that. Let's talk to Adam. Adam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. What do you think? How's how's hey, Amazon uh, going to do? Nine out of the ten top shows viewed last week were NFL football games. The number ten show was 60 Minutes, and that's because people left the TV on after the game. 
Amazon knows what they're doing. They're going to kill this on this. People love watching live football. Um, they, they're going to get their money. I mean, I already have Amazon. I'm going to watch a game tonight. Um, I probably want to get a different streaming service if it was just yeah. to watch Thursday night games. But since I have Amazon, yeah. I get probably five to seven packages a week from them. It's another bonus of the service that they have. And I'm sure they're going to reach it. 67 million sounds like a lot, but I'm sure they're going to make their money back in this. I mean, NFL is raking in money. And they know what they're getting into. Yeah, well, they, well, I mean, obviously, you you would hope so. And like I say, even even if it's a loss leader, you know, in the in the short term, even if they don't recoup their money short term, you know, it maybe they're playing again this this long game because I I do firmly believe that the future of live sports is on streaming. I, I'm not encouraging that. I'm just saying that that's, that's the reality. I think as rights fees go up and up and up and up and up, I think it's going to be tougher for network TV to try to, to do that. And I think, I think that that whole market is, is kind of changing. This is sort of an aside, but you know, Showtime, which is like the, the, the cable thing where they show the movies and the Showtime series and stuff. I, I was reading something, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about how it, at least one of the ideas is that the company that owns Showtime is thinking of shutting it down and, and merging it. Paramount Plus is the streaming service that, that's affiliated with Showtime. And the, one of the thoughts is that just closing down Showtime, and there, there's not an immediate plan to do that, but closing down Showtime and kind of incorporating that on the on the streaming service, Paramount Plus, as a way of attracting more people there. I, I think streaming is the wave of the future. How soon it takes over, I, I don't know. But as we've talked about before, I wouldn't be surprised if, certainly within the next 10 years, that the broadcast channels look completely and totally different. That is the on-the-air channels. And, and cable, the cable TV picture looks a lot different as well. Streaming is the way to go. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Regardless of who gets the credit, I think there is a piece of good news today, and that is the fact that this, this railroad strike has been averted. Now, I think sometimes people misunderstand the this wasn't about Amtrak, per, per se. This was... This was a dispute between railroads and unions, but it, it was freight haulers. And it had really – most of the issue was not necessarily money, but I think that the thing that was causing the problems were issues related to sick time and um, things of the like. Uh, the new contract does include a 24% wage increase over a five-year period from 2020 through 2024. So, again, more, more money for the workers, and that's fine. It helps fuel inflation, I guess, but that's just the nature of things that, that's going on now. But um, what's so good about this is it was affecting passenger rail because you know, Amtrak was canceling all sorts of, of routes because they were concerned that they use on the long distance routes, not the computer commuter routes, but the long distance routes, they use freight tracks and the work stoppages could have disrupted that. So Amtrak was canceling a lot of the, the long distance rail sort of things. And now they're they're working quickly to restore the, the canceled train. So that's how 
if people were wondering, oh, I don't, I don't get it. This isn't between Amtrak and the passenger service. This is like between like railroads and the, the, the their workers and it's freight and stuff. How does that make how does that account? Well, it's because they use the same tracks. And the concerns were were that if you had work stoppages with regard to the freight trains, they could potentially block the tracks and things like that. Uh, the, so it's it's good news. Now around here, we don't. At least from a passenger perspective, you know we don't we don't use trains very much. I mean, if you're when I worked as a federal prosecutor, and I would say, you know, once or twice a month, I would have to go down and argue cases in front of the United States Court of Appeals in Chicago, and in in those cases. It was just great to take the train. I mean, trying to drive down there, if you had an, ar- an argument at 9 o'clock in the morning and you had to be there, you-, you could hop on the commuter train that left at like, I don't know, 6.30 or whatever time it left. It would get you in there. You'd have time to walk to the courthouse, do your argument. And then if you're lucky, you know, hop the 1 o'clock train coming back. So you-, you could do it very, very quickly. And it was great as opposed to have to drive down to Chicago and fight all the rush hour traffic and um, find a place to park and do all that stuff. So I w- when I used to go to Chicago, at least for business, I always tried to find a way to, to take the, the train. But, you know, beyond that, it's, I, I haven't, I'm not sure I've, I've ridden the train beyond like the, that back and forth for, you know, any, any significant period of time. If you are on the East Coast, where things are a lot closer together, for example, it, you know, people use the trains to, to get around. It's not uncommon for, you know, people, if you've got business in New York City and you're living and you're in Washington, D.C., you, you take the train up there. It's one of the ways that are around there. So I'm not sure that we appreciate the value of the passenger rail as much as some people do, but there, there's no question about it. Um, a lot of people depend on passenger rail and the fact that, you know, you're not going to have this strike on the, again, the commercial sort of stuff to allow passenger rail service not to be disrupted. That's a good thing. Okay. I've been waiting all day to discuss this with you, and I've gotten a number of texts saying, are you going to talk about this? As we have discussed repeatedly on this program, the border is out of control. I I, I don't think anybody can seriously disagree with the fact that the border is out of control and it's gotten worse over the last year or two. Uh, there's just and you know you can try to argue that but what are the numbers like 5000 people arrested every day coming across the the border. Now you can argue that Donald Trump was using that he was wrong and trying to talk about building this great big beautiful wall and having Mexico pay for it, but there's no question that illegal immigration which has always been a problem, it has gotten worse under under Joe Biden. And it is a particular problem for those states that are along the border. When we've talked about this before, as I freely concede, as a general rule, illegal immigration is an academic discussion for us here in Wisconsin. I mean, it, it's it's not like you wake up in the morning and you look out in your backyard and you find a bunch of people who have illegally entered the country from Mexico or Venezuela or wherever. That That's just, that's not what happens. Um, on the other hand, if you live in... Tucson, Arizona, or you live along the border in Texas or some of the other border states, it is a completely and totally different story where you find people coming into this country by the thousands on a daily basis who then come into your community and it becomes the responsibility of your community to figure out where are these people going to be housed 
Um, where, how are these people going to be fed? How are their health care concerns? What about the people who've come into this country who turn to crime and are part of cartels or whatever? It, it's, it is far from an academic experience. And I know I've told this story before, but a number of years ago, when, when the company I worked for, Journal Communications, when we owned uh, a a radio station in Tucson. I, I can remember I was filling in from time. They put me up on the satellite because one of the regular hosts had been ill or something. So I'm doing these shows, and it's just such a difference talking to people for whom, hey, let me tell you, I just woke up today and I got 15 people who've just crossed the border and they're sitting there and they're they're in my they're in my backyard peeing on a tree. That's a different experience than here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or southeastern Wisconsin, where it's it's less of a direct problem. Well, the, the governors of the, these border states and the, the governor of Florida, where you have a lot of people who come in illegally as well, they've decided to kind of, well, the phrase I would use is, is share the wealth. And one of the tactics that they are now starting to use is they are starting to call attention to this problem, and they are sending busloads of Immigrants, people who've come into this country illegally, they are sending them to various places. District of Columbia, New York City, Chicago, and they are causing, I mean, it's just, it is freaking out the mayors of these cities who are talking about, oh my gosh, now now we've got all these these different issues. We've got these, these people who are coming here illegally, and we have to figure out, you know, how we're going to clothe them and how we're going to house them. Um, Ron DeSantis, who is, of course, the governor of Florida, he, well, he just made arrangements to send a plane containing a number of people who had entered migrants um, from Venezuela. He ended up sending them out to Martha's Vineyard. Now, Martha's Vineyard, of course, is the, you know, ritzy island located in, in Massachusetts, which is where Lots and lots of really, like, wealthy people decide that they're going to spend um, their summer. You know, so Martha's Vineyards is that. So DeSantis flies, I think, 50 Venezuelan migrants um, into into Martha's Vineyard. And, of course, this is causing people to just freak out about this because now what they're finding is that they have to, you know, provide shelter and clothing and food and other necessities for the, the the, these 50 immigrants. And that's not what you're typically going to see on, on Martha's Vineyard. So this is the latest story about all this outrage. How dare Ron DeSantis do this? All right, our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Illegal immigration is a national problem, which for too long, I think, has just been viewed by most people Again, it's this academic kind of exercise. Well, of course we should have open borders. What difference does it make? Easy for you to say if you live in Madison, Wisconsin, where you're you're not seeing thousands and thousands of people coming across the border on a daily sort of basis, bringing with them all the different issues that are related. Uh, The idea that some of these governors are now calling attention to this problem and that mayors in D.C. and in New York City and in Chicago are freaking out because, gee, we, we've gotten a couple hundred people you know, on buses who've been sent here illegally. The fact that they're freaking out tells me 
that a lot of these objections is we want open borders. You know, it, it's it's nothing but virtue signaling. And once you are confronted with the problems that these border states have been having for years, people start singing a different tune. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I think, and this is one of the things that's being reported, is that ultimately the Biden administration would like to grant amnesty to millions of people who are in this country illegally. I just do not see how you can do that. I think that if you want to watch this country just crumble under the weight of increased social spending and things like that, it's to simply say, we're going to allow anybody who wants to come into this country to come into the country. And if by calling attention to what a real problem this is, you have to send some people by bus who volunteer for this to D.C. or to Chicago or to New York or get a plane trip to Martha's Vineyard, I think I'm 100 percent behind what these governors are doing. 855-616-1620. And, and by the way, some people are saying, well, what Florida doesn't share a border with Mexico. Why do they have a problem? Well, if Florida has a huge problem with illegal immigration as well. It's just people are coming in by boat. That's And that's, again, I understand it's different in Texas where people cross the border illegally or Arizona by land, but Florida, it's by, it's by boat. And it's a huge problem as well, which is why one of the reasons why Ron DeSantis said, okay, here, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to dramatize this problem for the folks up at Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts who don't think this is an issue. Here, here's, you, can, you can deal with 50 or so people who entered our country illegally that we're expected to deal with. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Dave. Dave, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think about all this? Well, you know what? I'm in the uh, northern suburbs of Chicago. Oh. And Lori Lightfoot, the mayor, was freaking out last week about it. But she, in turn, shipped the guys out. Busloads went to Darien. Yep. Or not Burr Ridge, I mean. Burr Ridge, because their mayor was on, was totally shocked about it. Elk Grove. And um, it's either uh, Crest Hill or Crestwood. So she sent them out to three different suburbs. Yeah. And the suburbs didn't know about it, so they're but they're staying in. Um, well, it's not like they're at the Taj Mahal, but they're in nicer hotels. Yeah. They're not the, you know, they're not at a dumpy hotel. No, I, I think. So, I mean, no, you're right. No, it's the I mean, thanks. It's it's the ultimate irony, of course. Like the the mayor of Chicago has declared Chicago is a sanctuary city. Okay, this is a sanctuary city. Give a, a, all right. Well, what exactly do, does that mean? So, all right, you you have a couple busloads of people, and you're exactly right. First of all, it's it's freaking out. It was okay. We we need federal money. We're not equipped to handle all this. Well, and then it's like okay, let's let's take these people, and we've denounced the whole process that even though they volunteer. You put people on buses. Well, let's put them back on those buses. The hypocrisy is is just so incredible. We need major border reform. And see, I think that's what the governors are trying to point out. This idea that we're going to give amnesty, that we can open up this country, we can have millions and millions of people. And this isn't about the dreamers. This is about the people that that pour in to the country thousands and thousands every day and expect that the United States is going to take care of them. We do not have the resources to do that. No, No country 
outside the third world has has open borders because sooner or later you just end up that the weight of the people who are coming into this country illegally overwhelms overwhelms people and and this idea that oh it's it's somebody else's problem here you know with it's really easy to say again if you're in washington dc we're going to make this a sanctuary city until all of a sudden you get a busload of 50 people just 50 not 5000 but just 50 and then it's all it's freaking out how can we take care of these people well okay explain that to the governors of arizona or texas who have to deal with this on a regular basis susan susan you're on wtmj good afternoon Good afternoon. I agree with you 100%, and that's my point, is that these border states don't have the financial or the physical resources to take care of this. And if we're going to declare open borders, then there needs to be some kind of a national budget just for immigration where they can get reimbursed for these, because these other states are just you know, if they're going over the border, then you're going to stop at the closest per- place and sure. settle there. So this is long term. This isn't just even short term getting them settled into the United States. These people are going to settle at the closest first place and for years right. until they decide to resettle somewhere else. So then if they're going to declare this open border thing, all of the country has to um, take yeah. on that burden, not just the border states. Yeah, that, that's why I, I love what DeSantis did with the Martha's Vineyard thing, because it, it's like, oh, can, can, and it's all volunteers. Can I get some volunteers who'd like to go to Martha's Vineyard? Everybody, sure, send us up to Martha's Vineyard. You know, the, the, these these Tony super rich, the, the uber rich, predominantly liberals, they're freaked out by this. They don't know what to do with this. It's one thing to say, well, let's, let's keep them down in, in Texas, and you figure this out, but now it's we've got 50 people in our community? Well, we have to figure out some... The, this is just terrible. It's outrageous. No, it's kind of what's good for the. I hear go- them also say it's not just financial for them, but then there's they're bringing in other types of uh, class of people that they're not wanting to have in their city because they aren't speaking the same language. Yeah, they're sure. having to. Um, they're going to have to bring them into their cities, and they aren't going to like that at all. Oh, no, you're, you're exactly right. No, it is. Thanks for Not to mention all the other uh, attendant issues that, that come with this, including, look, I'm not going to sit here and suggest that 95% of the people who are coming across the border are, are you know, here to commit crimes. That I, I don't buy that. But there is a percentage of that. And if you look at, like, a lot of the, the heroin trafficking and the fentanyl and, the fentanyl and stuff, it, 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 it's tied to, you know, people coming across the, the borders. It's it, it's the insanity of, of the Biden administration's essentially open borders policies. Now, I understand the vice president says the borders are, are secure. That's why I thought it was particularly ironic that one of the busloads of people, you know, drop, were dropped off, you know, outside of her residence, you know, where she lives in Washington, D.C. The, the bottom line is that this is a national problem. And, and too often that we've forgotten this. And, I mean, this is just kind of calling attention to this, and it's also calling attention to the failures. I am all in favor of figuring out a, a path to legal residency, maybe for, like, the Dreamers and things like that, that's different than that's different than um, 
a, a path to citizenship, but it's certainly a path to legal residency. But as a starting point, you can't even have that discussion until you get control of the borders. You, you can't even talk about what are we going to do for the dreamers or something, the people that have been here for 20 years. As, as, at the same time, you, you've got 5,000 people pouring across the border illegally, at least on a daily basis, because sooner or later you end up getting overwhelmed by that. So I, 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 is it a stunt? Absolutely is it a stunt. But is it a stunt that calls attention to a very, very serious problem? Absolutely it is that as well. And it is fun to just watch the mayor of New York and the mayor of D.C. and Lori Lightfoot in Chicago just absolutely freak out when they have to deal with just a small percentage on a daily basis of what the border states deal with on a daily basis. Are you a golfer? No, I don't have the patience for golf, Jeff. I know I, I just <laughs> huh. look like I ooze patience, but I don't. I don't have the patience for that or the coordination, let alone. <laughs> well, yeah, it's. it's I, I. I'm not sure. It's, no, nobody's ever accused <laughs> me. I, I guess I am relatively patient with most things, but I, I love. I just. I thought that your story about the the ex the the golf simulators yeah. opening up. That's a uh, that's a big thing. A lot of. A lot of places now have the simulators, and I, I always, I mean, I prefer playing outside or hitting balls outside, but mm-hmm. it's really, especially in the wintertime, it's a cool alternative. And I would imagine being an American family field, that it's, it's in the old 300 club is where they're setting that up, you know, that used to be that giant mm-hmm. restaurant. And that, I could, I could imagine that being a cool venue, especially if you're going out there anyways. Yeah, it's going to be a really cool venue. Tomorrow is the first day it opens to the public. They will have seven of those simulators right, right. on two different levels, so it's going to look pretty cool. They're also so making it a big deal with uh, the opening tomorrow. Um, a woman by the name of Paige Sparenick, I think is her last name. Not quite sure. Anyway, she used to be a professional golfer on the European tour. She's going to be there throwing out the first pitch tomorrow night. She was also most recently voted Maxim's Sexiest Woman Alive, in case any of your uh, listeners out there wondering. So the Brewers, they're throwing a big uh, big old golf party tomorrow night. Big old golf theme that they're going to be having for the night. It'll be fun. Well, I'm going to the game tomorrow night, so I'll have to... I'll have to I, 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 it wasn't because of that, but I was going... I'm going to the game tomorrow night but yeah the the simulators that's that's the big thing and there's uh, i mean there's a lot of them in the area because there's just an incredible pent-up demand for golf and people love it and around here where the golf season is just so slow i I mean i think it's a great business model be curious to i'll be curious to see how well that does year in year out but it's you'd like to see it it's one of those things they're going to be doing it year round right yeah so it's going to be kind of like with the fridays they used to have like different portions of the stadium that'll be open year round that you can go in and kind of because it is a nice facility right it's kind of cool to try and draw people in when there's no games i guess the question is going to be is it enough of an attraction outside of games that you would go there as opposed to going to some of the other places that have simulators around but it's kind of fun i i a couple of years ago, you know, we we did this, and you can. The cool thing about simulators is you can play, quote unquote, play different golf courses. Yeah. You know, you want to play Pebble Beach, you can set it up, and you can play Pebble Beach and stuff. It's it it's fun. And um, as an example of patience, or see, I'm a big believer that you should, you you don't always have to excel at things. That sometimes <laughs> it's just sometimes it's just fun to do stuff even if you're not necessarily that good at it. And that's been my <laughs> philosophy about golf since I started playing golf when I was about 10 years old. It's the looking for me, the looking for the ball, because I slice everything, and then i got to spend so much time looking to where I hit it, and it's just I've lost all the interest in it by whole, like, four. <laughs> you know, the, 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 for me, the, the thing about golf, first of all, I, I have certain rules. I only play golf with people I like. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> no, I do. I just, I, I just only sense. play. So it's something that you kind of do. You, you, you put down the cell phone, and all you think about is just, you know, 
being out with friends, and generally speaking, the weather's nice, and my wife plays golf, and so we, matter of fact, I might play nine holes this afternoon. Nice. That's kind of in the plan. But yeah, it's a, but understanding, see, some people take it so seriously, and I learned early on, I'm just, can I get better at it? Yes. Am I ever going to be good at it? it ain't going to happen. <laughs> you know, but, but I'm cool with that. I'm okay. And now you can get some practice someone watching a Brewers game. It'll at, be fun. There you go. It doesn't get any better than that. When we come back... Seriously. I mean, Alex was talking about the, the latest hit and run and the guy, the 32-year-old guy that's dead on Brady Street. What can be done, if anything? Stick around. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the stock market bad again today, uh, the last couple hours. And it, it's, it's basically mortgage rates are over 6%. And... Nobody feels that uh, the, there's a, the economy has a grip on out-of-control inflation, and there's concerns that the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates more than they've done in any one setting if, since at least the last uh, 15 years. So right now, the Dow down 230, the NASDAQ down 195, um, and that's, of course, on the heels of just the massive cratering that you had on Monday. And, and once again, the, the amount of of wealth that has been lost in this country by declines in the stock market, really going back to like April of last year when inflation just started taking off, has just been kind of staggering. And you got to feel bad for, for everybody who says it's just paper money and it's just, you know, you really don't lose any money till you cash out. That, that's that's just not true. <laughs> I, I mean, people make plans and they decide to retire based on, you know, what their nest egg is. And when your nest egg is down 15, 20 and 25 and 30 percent with no clue as to when that's going to stop, that does have a, a huge impact. And until we get a grip on inflation, I don't know what the answer is going to be. And yes, I, I do believe government policy has caused a lot of the inflation that we're dealing with. Okay. Um, during Alex's newscast, he was talking about the, the latest hit and run that, that's happened. And, and, and it seems like, if not a daily basis, certainly three or four times a week, we could start off this program highlighting somebody seriously injured, grave condition, or killed because they were hit by a driver who has subsequently driven off. And, and really, three or four times a week. That we, we know right now, especially on the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee, we know two things. First of all, if the cops try to pull you over, there's a very good chance that people are going to run from the police, and that then leads to accidents. And even if the car gets, yeah, if the car that's being chased smashes into a tree, we know that the people are going to try to run away on foot. That is the, the latest thing that is out there, and the statement is always police are searching for suspects. We also know on a regular basis, several times a week, you will have people driving like bats out of you-know-where who will blow through red lights, who will be going 70, 80 miles an hour, 30-mile-an-hour zones, and they will hit and kill people, and they will drive off. The latest story is this thing that, that happened um, over the weekend on, on Brady Street, and I think you know people have been describing it. It was uh, Brady and Franklin Place, Saturday, uh, late Sunday night, 32-year-old guy who is well-known in the neighborhood out on the street, and, and he's run down when, you know, somebody, again, blows through the intersection, hits and kills him, and, and drives off. And there's a memorial there, and people are calling for change. And one of the petitions that out there says they're calling for speed limits to be reduced on Brady Street to 15 miles an hour. 
Well, okay, that doesn't does it make any difference, I guess, if it's 15 or 25 or 30 when you have people that are driving 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 miles an hour and, and they don't care? Um, it calls for speed humps to be installed and increased police presence. Story I'm looking at, say business owners are all in favor of that. Okay, our number, we only got a couple minutes, 855-616-1620. That is the answer. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I ask this very seriously. There is an epidemic of this going on. The, the, the reckless driving, the hit and runs, people dying because they had the audacity to be crossing the intersection with the right of way, or in some cases like standing by the side of the road when somebody's driving by at 85 miles an hour who then hits and runs off. So if you had one magic bullet, one thing that you could do to help stop the hit and runs, what would that be? And again, the ideas that they're tossing around, lower the speed limit, put in a couple speed bumps, more police, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You get to be king or queen for a day. One thing that you could do so we didn't have to, on an almost daily basis, hear these stories about somebody hit and killed by the hit-and-run driver. What would your one thing be? We discuss. I, I'm, I'm serious about this question. I mean, the hit-and-run has become just an epidemic around here to the point that in any given week, you, you, you can point to three or four situations where people driving recklessly blow through red lights, hit and kill people, and then just drive off. And sometimes they catch them and sometimes they don't. Somebody was asking me, what about that high-profile story from a week or two with the specialized car? I don't think they've caught that guy yet. Normally, you're, you're able to find these because there's damage to the car and, and somebody— you know, comes forward and speaks. But here we have somebody who was killed on Brady Street the other night. They've identified it. It's, it's already Thursday, and they, they've identified the vehicle as like a Jeep Cherokee, but 2011 to 2018. But whoever did it is, is, is on the lam. And there, there's people who know, hey, you know, I, I saw the car. It's now in the garage. You've got the side mirror that's broken off and stuff, but they're not willing to come forward and, and you know, dime out the person that did it. Somebody is dead. Uh, people are frustrated, and, and I'm frustrated. They're talking about, well, do we put in speed bumps? Do we um, have more police? Do we, you know, do we lower the speed limit on Brady Street? Well, I'm, I, I, you know, uh, uh, that's dumb. I, and, I mean, if you want to lower the 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 speed limit, lower the speed limit. But that's not what the problem is. The problem is people who could care less about the speed limit, you know, blowing through red lights or stop signs, hitting people, and then driving off. Thomas, downtown. Thomas, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I, I think you're failing to recognize what the true root of the problem is. And the true root of the problem is car theft in the city of Milwaukee. And the fact that per capita, it outweighs any other city in America. And it's all Kias and Hyundai's that are getting stolen, and and um, these these are these are you know these are kids that just drive recklessly, mm-hmm. and that's that. And 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 so until you address that problem, you know you you can't begin to address the other issues. In my opinion, how would you address the problem? Don't 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 get me wrong. I mean, how how would you address the car theft problem then? Well, the police are ignoring it. They don't. They're not pursuing this they can't they don't have the time to with all the homicides in the city they don't they could care less about a car 
to yep. get stolen. Well, th- thanks for calling. And, and they don't have yeah. enough detectives. No, they don't have enough detectives to investigate the homicide. Well, no, the, so what's more important? Some well, car getting stolen, or homi- but then the car gets involved in a homicide. I, I Thomas, you partly you're, you're preaching to the choir, and and see, and I, I don't. I, it's not that the police don't investigate, although there there is an element of that. But that that's just that that I think is the tip of the iceberg. See, first of all. It, it's it's its entire system. You know, we, we have a district attorney who is one of the first of the progressive prosecutors who doesn't want to put people in jail. That has led the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County, but particularly the city, into the mess that it has been in because we've essentially had a generation of people – who've grown up knowing you can steal cars and you're not going to be held accountable. You can run from the police and you're not going to be held accountable. And so should we be surprised that we're seeing um, what, what we're seeing now, which is the logical outgrowth of that, the people running, the hit and runs, all this? I, I think there's a couple things that you, you need to do. First of all, I think you need more security cameras that are around to help identify things. Secondly, you, you clearly... And this is something that, you know, it would be nice to hear that the candidates talk about. You clearly need a lot more cops. Crime is out of control, and you need more and more cops to deal exactly what Thomas is talking about. Flood these streets, aggressively investigate. But that's not enough. What you also need is you need to... I hate the phrase send a message because it's a cliche, but you need to send a message. We need to say we are sick of being held hostage by the the criminal element in this community. And that means district attorneys who are going to prosecute people. It means judges who are going to put people in jail. And yeah, this is my message to my Republican friends in the state legislature. It means because we can't trust the district attorneys and many of the judges to do their job, it means mandatory minimum penalties mandatory minimum penalties. You are involved in a hit and run where somebody is injured or killed. You knowingly did it. Yes, then you need to go to prison for three years, five years, figure out whatever that's going to be. But mandatory penalties without parole. So the word gets out that if this is how you are going to behave, you're going to go to prison. And it's not until we get the criminal element off the street and the message goes out that there are going to be prices to pay for behaving in this fashion, we have no hope of, of ever getting this problem solved. And until we start doing that, and I see no indication that there's a lot of people who are willing to take those steps now, but the bottom line is don't cross the street because you never know when you are going to be that next victim. And if you're driving, I don't know, you know, just, you know, say that little prayer to yourself before you, you know, go into the intersection, because, you know, you never know who's going to be driving 90 miles an hour in that stolen car or whatever coming the other way. That is just the community we live in right now, where law-abiding citizens have become just either victims or or potential victims. And that's going to continue to be the case until our elected officials and our chattering class wake up.